The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 25. The word of God speaks to us. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is God's word to us. Amen. Hey, great job. Thanks for reading that. That was was such a good reading, and this text is so dense, I'm tempted to just pray and go to the Lord's Supper. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh Curry. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to spend the next two weeks in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 25. Today, we're going to talk about the gift of tongues, and next week, we're going to talk about the gift of prophecy. So I'm going to pray for you. You guys pray for me, and we'll dive in and do some work. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. 
And Father, I want to pray in particular for friends in the room that don't yet trust and follow Jesus. I pray that you would meet them today. I pray that you would show them your heart for them, your love for them, your goodness. I pray for my friends in the room that trust Jesus and are following Jesus. I pray that today you would strengthen them and form them and let their roots go deep. Fathers, we talk about this gift today. We pray that uh, we pray that we would grow as a people of deeper intimacy and fellowship with our Savior. God, we pray that we would live every single day aware of your presence, depending on your presence, abiding in your presence. And we ask you to help us as we open your word. Give us understanding. Um, let things that we believe that are not true be dispelled by the truth of your word. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. Hey, so friends, if you've been a part of Frontline Church for any length of time, you know that there's things that we talk about all the time. There's places of emphasis because they're the core places that the Bible points to is essential for the Christian life. And there's just things that every single week, every single Sunday, every single community group, we're going to point to as the beating heart of what it is to be a disciple. And then there's things in the Bible that are good and beautiful, but we're only going to cover those things from time to time as needed in the life of our church or when we get to a particular passage of scripture. And I say that because for the last 18 years, I've only talked about, I've only preached on the gift of tongues a handful of times. Now that's not to say that the gift of tongues is unimportant or not beautiful. On the contrary, I think it is beautiful and it is important. It's just far from being the most important thing when it comes to understanding the word of God. Can I get an amen? And I say that to just attempt to sort of disarm you and encourage you today to just let down your guard a little bit. Let's open God's word with curiosity. Let's open God's word with humility. There's never going to be a day in the life of this church where we issue IDs to people designating you as tongue speakers and non-tongue speakers. We're, we're not going to break you guys up in various sections. We're not going to declare that the tongue speakers are more spiritual because the Bible doesn't say that. The gift of tongues is not the evidence of the Holy Spirit. The evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that you love and trust Jesus, that you have saving faith in Jesus. But at the very same time, I want to be really clear, though tongues is not the end-all be-all of the Christian life, it is a gift from our Father. It's a gift that more of us in our church should earnestly desire. It's a gift that some of us need to reawaken and fan into flame. And it's been a gift that's been a great help to me as a Christian in my weakness and in my sinfulness. In addition, before we dive into our text, I want to just note that this is a really controversial gift, and, and there's abuses on both sides of the debate about tongues. I've heard horror stories at our church from some of you guys that went to youth camp as a teenager, and you weren't allowed to get on the bus to go home until you spoke in tongues. That, that's weird. I've heard stories of some of you guys that were a part of church cultures where your pastors made you repeat ridiculous phrases as if saying she came on a Honda again and again was guaranteed to get the Holy Spirit to give you the gift of tongues. That's weird. It's weird. It's unhelpful. It's not good weird. It's bad weird. In addition, in addition, I've also talked to people in our church that were mocked because they had the gift of tongues. 
that were barred from leadership in the local church because they had the gift of tongues. And I just want to note that reactionary theology, building a theological framework over and against somebody else, is rarely a helpful way to arrive at the truth of God's word. Being reactionary puts us on guard and it moves us away from receptivity to the spirit of God. As one pastor friend of mine put it, the answer to misuse isn't disuse, but proper use. And that's what we want to be as a church, a church that humbly realizes that there's definitely things that are out of joint in our minds and out of joint in our practice, and we need the Spirit of God, and we need Christian community, and we need God's Word to shape us and to form us. And the last thing I want to say before we dive into our text today is probably my primary heart as we talk about this. Um, growing up, I remember my family moving into a pretty, a pretty impoverished neighborhood in downtown San Diego. And uh, to this day, it's my favorite place I've ever lived. It was just a melting pot of cultures, languages on every corner. I loved it. Uh, it. It was in the 80s back in the day where if you had a bicycle, you could be gone all day long as a kid. No accountability. You'd show up for dinner time, and you didn't have to even tell your parents where you had been. It was amazing. And, and one of the things I loved about living, that, living in that neighborhood is that I met a best friend. And my best friend... We were really close and we got each other's backs. We'd get beat up a lot and our skateboards would get stolen by neighborhood guys. And, and we just became really close. And I remember the first day that I ever did a sleepover at this kid's house, I was walking through his room and I opened his closet because I'm Snoopy. And, and I saw in his closet an entire stack of birthday presents and Christmas presents that were unopened. And, and as a kid in that time of my life that didn't have a lot of money in our family, I was just kind of floored like, hey man, why would you not open your presents? And that kid started telling me about his dad, his dad that had bailed on him and his mom, his dad that wasn't present, his dad that wasn't available. And, and I realized in a really immature way that I've reflected on for over 30 years that that guy's relationship with his dad was so tragic that it led to a mistrust even of his dad's gifts. And I don't want us to be a church like that. I want us to be a church that believes that all of the gifts that our father gives us are all good because our father's good, that we can trust him. Jesus put it like this in Luke chapter 11. He said, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? If you ask for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There are no bad spiritual gifts. And we don't have to be a church that lives in fear that if we earnestly desire spiritual gifts, if we ask our father for spiritual gifts, that we're somehow opening ourselves up to the demonic or to craziness. We can actually trust our Heavenly Father that when we ask Him to give us good gifts, He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Amen? So we can trust that as we talk about the gift of tongues, we don't have to be fearful and we don't have to be insecure because our Father is present and our Father is good. 
So today I want to do three things, three things. I want to ask the first question, what is the gift of tongues? And we're going to look at this text. And then we're going to talk about what was the problem in the church in Corinth that led to this passage. And then we're just going to ask the question, what do we do with this? Where do we go from here? So take your Bible. What is the gift of tongues? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries, mysteries in his spirit. Sam Storms in his book, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, defines tongues like this. The gift of tongues is simply the spirit-energized ability to pray, worship, give thanks, or speak in a language other than your own or one that you learned in school. So the point is, the gift of tongues is not a horizontal message to other Christians. The gift of tongues is a way of communing with God and speaking to God, uttering mysteries about the glory and majesty of God in your spirit. Tongues is a spirit-enabled exaltation of God in a language you don't know. It's directed vertically. Your spirit prays, but your mind is unfruitful. Now that seems really weird, and a lot of Christians wonder, how could anything be edifying if your mind's unfruitful? If you don't understand it cognitively, does it have any bearing on spiritual depth and growth? I want you to skip down and look at verse 14 and verse 15. Paul says this, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit and I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit and I will sing with my mind also. Gordon Fee, uh, one of the great charismatic theologians of the last 50 years, he put it like this. Although one may wonder how mysteries that are not understood even by the speaker can edify, the answer lies in these two verses. Contrary to the opinion of many, spiritual edification can take place in ways other than through the cortex of the brain. Paul believed in an immediate communing with God by means of the spirit that sometimes bypassed the mind. And in verses 14 and 15, he argues that for his own edification, he will have both. But in the church, he will only have what also can be communicated to other believers through their minds. So, so let me just try to list a few things that this text points to. What is the gift of tongues for? Well, first of all, it's for edification. It's for the building up of your spirit man. Look at verse four. For one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself but one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, that's not Paul saying because prophecy builds up the church and tongues edifies yourself that tongues is a bad thing. It's a good thing to be edified. It's a good thing to be spiritually nourished and to grow. In fact, Jude verse 20 tells us this, beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Tongues is a means, it's not the means or the only means, but tongues is a means of your spirit man being built up and edified as you pray through the help of the Holy Spirit, speaking mysteries about the glory of God. It's also for blessing God and giving thanks. Look at verse 16 and 17. 
Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Tongues is also a means of just giving gratitude, honor, and blessing to God, thanking him for his faithfulness. In addition, it's possible that tongues simply helps us in our weakness. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 26. I don't think this is referring only to tongues, but I do think it is referencing tongues in part. Here's what Paul writes in Romans. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever not known how to pray about something? You've been confused, you've been overwhelmed, or you've simply run out of words to say to God and you still need to pray. Well, tongues is a particular way that at times in the life of a believer, God can help us through the intervention of the Holy Spirit to groan and to pray the will of God even when we don't know what the will of God is. And I want us to take just a couple of minutes, lest you think that this is just kooky and weird, I want us to take just a couple of minutes and look at Paul the Apostle's relationship with tongues. And I want you to keep in mind that Paul was smarter and more educated than any person in this room, and some of you guys are really smart. Paul was a man that's the greatest theologian that's ever lived outside of Jesus. Paul spoke multiple languages. Paul could go toe-to-toe with Greek philosophers. He could go toe-to-toe with the religious leaders of Israel. He was a brilliant, a brilliant, thoughtful man. And yet, look at a couple things that Paul mentions. Paul, first of all, wants more Christians to pray in tongues. Look at verse 5. He says, now I want you all to speak in tongues but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. All right, Paul is really committed to, in the church, building up one another. So if you pray in tongues, he wants you to not do so publicly unless there's an interpretation, but nonetheless, his desire is that more Christians in Corinth would speak in tongues. And I think this is a great reminder for us in this church that this is a gift that we should ask God to give more people, that he would grant more people the gift to worship and praise God in the spirit. In addition, tongues is a part of Paul's devotional life. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So contrary to the caricature of a tongue speaker is some backwoods Appalachian hillbilly holding snakes and drinking Mountain Dew. Like, this is a guy, this is a guy that values thoughtfulness. This is a guy that values philosophy. This is a guy that's highly educated. This is a guy that can think. And he's saying, you know what? I pray in tongues more than all of you guys. It's been a tremendous blessing and gift in my walk with Jesus. In addition, Paul doesn't want tongues to be forbidden. Even though the Corinthians were getting it wrong and they were using the gift in ways that were unhelpful, he says at the end of 14 in verse 39, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy, but do not forbid speaking in tongues. This is a good gift. It's an important gift. It's a gift that some of you guys have been given by God and you've neglected. And I would encourage you today to fan into flame that gift. 
For others, it's a gift that perhaps God's starting to give you desire to pursue, to ask your father to give you. It's a gift that we need in the life of our church. It's a gift that would be a blessing to more Christians. But this leads us to the problem, right? Because as we've seen throughout this entire letter to the Corinthians, the Corinthians got a lot of stuff wrong. And even though they're zealous for spiritual gifts, especially tongues, they're misusing tongues when they gather together. They had tons of zeal, but they also had tons of immaturity in the exercise of this gift. And I just want to mention a couple of things. In part, the problem with the Corinthians' relationship with tongues is that they kind of elevated tongues as the end-all, be-all of Christian maturity. And what we're going to see Paul tell them is that you can have the gift of tongues and actually be super immature as a Christian. And not only did they elevate the gift of tongues as the end-all be-all, but they were so excited about how good they felt praying in tongues that they would get together on a Sunday morning and without any interpretation, all the Christians were speaking in tongues or a lot of the Christians were speaking in tongues because they were so excited about it. And it was complete chaos without anybody understanding what was said. It was out of order. And so Paul's going to point out two things. He wants them to realize that uninterpreted tongues doesn't build others up. It may well be building you up, but it's not helping other Christians grow in their walk with Jesus. Look at verse 1. We're going to talk about prophecy next week, so I'm not going to give you definitions today. But just look at what he says. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in his spirit. On the other hand, one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, this is not Paul devaluing tongues or elevating prophecy to the end-all, be-all of the spiritual gifts. But what he's saying is this. Without an interpretation, the gift of tongues, though it may be personally edifying for you, it's not blessing and building other Christians unless it's interpreted. And when the church gathers together, we're to actually care about the mutual strengthening of other Christians, which requires intelligibility intelligibility. This leads to the second thing. He wants the church, when she gathers, to have harmony like an orchestra, to have unity for the battle, and intelligibility in our language. Unity, harmony, and intelligibility. Look at verse 4. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, 
Since you're eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. Now, I want you to notice just a couple of things. Paul doesn't, on any level, want to throw water on the Corinthian zeal for spiritual gifts. He's not anti-tongues, he's pro-tongues, and he doesn't want to discourage them wanting to pursue the gifts and exercise the gifts, but he wants them to take responsibility for exercising the gifts in a way that actually builds up the rest of the church. And as we gather on Sunday and as we scatter in community groups, this is super relevant for us. And this is what leads us to the heart of what Paul is teaching about both tongues and prophecy. And whether, whether or not you have ever spoken in tongues or ever heard anybody sp- speak in tongues, um, whatever your background is, this brings us to one of the greatest needs in the church throughout the ages and in our day. It brings us to the actual heart of God for his people, which is maturity working in love. So where do we go from here? Well, I want to show you just a few things. And I want you to remember what's happened in the flow of these three chapters. Chapter 12, 13, and 14 is Paul's great discourse on spiritual gifts. And I want you to remember that chapter 13, in the middle of these three chapters, is the meat of the spiritual gift sandwich. And what is the meat? Anyone? It's love. Chapter 13 is the most beautiful thing that's ever been written about mature, deep, God-reflecting love. And what Paul does is he puts the meat in the middle of the sandwich because the point of spiritual gifts is not simply using the gifts as if they were toys to enjoy personal experience. The point of spiritual gifts is that we would grow in God's love and help others to grow in God's love so that we could be more mature as the people of God. And I want you to, if you write in your Bible, I want you to highlight three verses in 1 Corinthians 14 that I think unlock the meaning of everything he's saying. Look at verse one. He says, pursue love, pursue love, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. Pursuing love is not an option for Christians, and earnestly desiring spiritual gifts is not an option for Christians. They're both commands. And they're both deeply connected. Then skip down and look at verse 12. He says, So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. He's saying, hey man, it's good that you're zealous for manifestations of the Spirit. We want more of the Spirit's activity in the church, not less. Even though they were a little bit out of control, Paul doesn't want to squash their hunger for the Spirit. He wants their hunger for the things of the Spirit to be rightly directed at building one another up in love. And then the verse that is a bit haunting, it's haunting and it's beautiful, is verse 20. Look what he says in verse 20. Brothers, Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Now, we need to just pause here for a second because we live in a moment where there's a lot of stunting of maturity in culture and in the church, in culture and in the church. And what Paul is saying is that maturity and love, maturity and love are inseparable, Love cultivates and deepens maturity, and maturity operates in love. 
And I want you to think about infants for just a second. Infants in their immaturity are completely dependent upon others. They give nothing back. They don't contribute to the chores of a household. They simply are dependent. And because they're infants and so cute, we take care of them. We take care of them. We, we love them even though they don't contribute. But their immaturity is a marker of their inability to give back and their need to receive and not give. And I want you to think, and this is not a dig on teenagers, I love teenagers, and and you'll never hear me say a bad word about parenting teenagers. Um, Raising my kids and having teenagers in the house was definitely a challenge, unbelievably hard, but so much fun. Teenagers are amazing. And those of you guys that are parents of littles, you don't need to believe all the hype that parenting teenagers is going to be a catastrophe. It will be hard. And in some ways it's harder than raising littles, but teenagers are awesome. They're so much fun and they bring so much life into your home. But here's the thing that can be so frustrating about teenagers. They're on the cusp of adulthood, but they're still immature, which means that there's ways that you know they could contribute They could operate in maturity. They could think about others, but they consistently regress back to immaturity where all they know how to do is think of themselves and take. So you go on a family vacation and you're spending money and you're trying to bless your kids and you're trying to make it awesome and you're trying to serve them. And when you expect one of your teenagers to get the memo that it's time to think about others in the group, what do they do? Well, they can only focus on themselves. They're resorting back to their immaturity. And I say all this, I say all this because immaturity focuses on the self to the exclusion of others. And what Paul is wanting for the Corinthians is that their relationship with spiritual gifts would be rooted in love and focused on the cultivation of maturity that decenters the self out of the middle and puts Jesus in the middle and the good of others as the point of gathering together as the people of God. And we live in a moment, we live in a moment where personal experience And consuming and performing and taking and being the center is the air that we breathe as human beings. And this is all drastically shaped what we expect church to be for us. It's super popular to even stop calling Sunday morning the Lord's Day or gathering for church. And it's it's an experience. It's an experience. Come have this experience. And the problem with it, with the problem with that mentality is what it's tacitly saying is that the point of gathering is you. What will you get out of it? What will you learn? How will you be edified? What kind of experience will you have? What kind of feelings will you have? Will you get tinkles on the back of your neck? Will you go home with a fresh notebook of life coaching takeaways? And I don't want you to misunderstand me. Like, I actually believe that gathering together with the people of God is deeply beneficial for all of us. And God has grace to meet us, and he wants to grow our minds and expand our hearts. And there's grace at the Lord's Supper, and there's grace as we sing and worship and pray. But listen, immaturity wants you and me to focus on ourselves to the exclusion of others. And maturity actually sees ourselves as contributing members that should actually approach the gathering of the people of God with the desire to build and to bless and to serve and to give ourselves away. I read a 
article in Mere Orthodoxy in the last couple of weeks that it's not about spiritual gifts, it's not about tongues. Um, it's about immaturity in the local church and how sort of like activism culture elevates the most immature voices and we actually give credence to the most immature, emotionally unstable people in the life of the church because they get the loudest microphone and then we get afraid of actually calling out immaturity because that scene is abusive. And he has this line in here that just makes me think of what was happening in Corinth. Let me read this paragraph to you. He says, the internet is a unique vehicle for the kind of endless self-consciousness that is a hallmark of adolescence. Endless self-consciousness that's a hallmark of adolescence. It's, the extraordinarily, it's extraordinarily difficult to engage in digital idea exchange without looking at oneself through a clout mirror, constantly wondering how this phrase will be received and how this post will strike others. Now listen to this. This is what hit me. Like a Zoom call where despite the presence of other faces, your eyes are inevitably drawn to fixate on your own square Looking at the group while never looking away from yourself, social media reinforces an anxiety that translates as immaturity. Okay, praise be to God that we have to do Zoom less these days. I loathe Zoom with the depth of my soul. And we still have pastors that try to ask me to do Zoom calls and I'm like just completely obstinate and rebellious. Um, but the phenomenon of Zoom is really fascinating because if you're like me, you find yourself in the middle of a call abandoning everything that you've learned about being present with people and listening people and just staring at your own face, my own dumb mug in this stupid Zoom block. Like, I just look at it. Even while I'm talking, I look at it and I pretend like I'm not looking at it and it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's embarrassing. And I think, I think what this author is getting at is really powerful. I think for the Corinthians, as they gathered together and they were so excited about tongues, it was a first century, a first century experience of being on a Zoom call where they're all focused on their own image and their own feeling and their own face to the exclusion of the point of spiritual gifts, which is loving and serving and giving. It's about giving. And I just think in particular in our part of the United States where there's still a lot of churches and there's this weird thing, man, where we just sort of do this ecclesiological buffet. We jump from church to church to church. We kind of sort of go to 10 churches and we don't really belong in any one church. And I hear people say all the time, well, I like the kids ministry here and the youth ministry here and the worship over here and the preaching over here is good. And then I have, these are my three favorite podcast preachers. And if I don't feel like going to church, I'll do church online, which by the way, is not a thing. It actually doesn't exist. You can't do church online because it requires physical presence with human beings to be the body of Christ. And, and, and I say all that, not to be critical, not to be mean, I just say all that to say, that's inside of me and that's inside of you, this perpetual immaturity that highlights self instead of highlighting the glory of God as we give ourselves away. So let me just say a couple of things as we close. Maturity takes responsibility for my own growth and edification. Back to tongues. Is tongues a good gift? Well, yeah, if it helps us be built up to grow in maturity, it's a good gift and we should seek God for it. 
Maturity focuses on others more than self. On others more than self. You know what happens in a marriage when the husband is aware of loving, serving, and meeting his wife's needs, and the wife is aware of loving and serving her husband by being mindful of his needs? What tends to happen? I mean, things can still go wrong, and we're still sinful, and that doesn't mean we don't need to get help for family of origin stuff and all the banana stuff we bring into a marriage. But what tends to happen when we lay down our lives for each other is that the marriage gets better and we grow in maturity. Same thing happens in the church. Maturity cares about the church and maturity cares about outsiders and unbelievers. And, and I'll end with this. Maturity can discern between good weird and bad weird. Good weird and bad weird. And, and I'm a big proponent of good weird in the church. Good weird. I want to keep Christianity weird. And I want to really resist bad weird, bad weird, because both are possible and it takes maturity to tell the difference between good weird and bad weird. Bad weird is mentioned in verse 23. Look what Paul says. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsider or unbeliever enters, will they not say you are out of your minds? Paul's saying, hey man, I know you guys are stoked about tongues and you're probably really giving thanks and you may even be building up your spirit, man, but it's bad weird to get together and not be mindful of outsiders and intelligibility. When they walk in, they're gonna think you're crazy. Bad weird is when personal experience is ultimate. When we work ourselves into an uncontrolled frenzy, when it's unintelligible, when it's unaccountable, the gift of tongues is not ecstatic, meaning it's not like when people pray in tongues, they go into a trance and they lose control of their bodies. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's Greek paganism. There's a volitional element involved. And even with prophecy, the same thing happens with prophecy. The Holy Spirit doesn't like possess you like the exorcist and start moving your mouth like a sock puppet. There's the work of the spirit and then there's personal responsibility. The, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So listen, that's bad weird. But, but listen, there's also such a thing as good weird. And in a moment where people keep trying to rescue Christianity from the supernatural and rescue Christianity from a biblical sex ethic and rescue Christianity from the presence of God, I want to be people that actually fight to keep Christianity weird because it is weird but it's good weird and good weird is described in verses 24 and 25. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. So falling on his face, he'll worship God and listen to this next line and declare that God is really among you. I want the church to be good weird. I want us to be mindful of the very presence of the living God. I want God to expose the secrets of our hearts so that he can heal us and wash us and deliver us. The Christian faith is weird because it's ancient, it's current, and it's supernatural. It's ancient. It's built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles. It is ancient, which makes it weird to us. It goes all the way back to the very first man and the first woman who were given a, prophet, a promise by the living God. It goes across centuries and millennia, and it's strange. It's strange in how ancient it is. It's also weird because it's current. 
It's current, meaning it's timely. It's contextualized. The word of God is living and active. It confronts our gods. It confronts culture in any place that it's proclaimed. And it's weird because it's supernatural. The heartbeat of Christianity in the center of the church is not a club. It's not just another philosophy. It's actually the abiding presence of the living God. The church is a temple of his spirit. This means that This means that embracing good weird and rejecting bad weird makes the church a place that's good but doesn't always feel controllable. If the spirit of God breaks out and brings revival in our church, things will happen that we will find strange. Things will happen. Because when God's speaking and when God's transforming and when God's healing and when God's delivering, we're reminded that God won't be domesticated that you don't get to control God. You don't get to give God to-do lists. God's sovereign and God's mighty, and every time a person that knew God got a glimpse of God's glory in the Bible, they always fall down on their face in humility and in reverence. Remember the words in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Susan says, Aslan is a lion? The lion, the great lion, and Susan responds, oh, I thought he was a man. She asks, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I say all that to say, maturity in the church is about receiving God's good gifts to cultivate in us deeper love and a deeper awareness of giving our lives away, being decentered from the core of our lives, Jesus being centered and caring for others. And that leads us to this place where we actually want to avoid bad weird, which is just about personal experience as the end all be all and consuming as the end all be all, to avoid seeing spiritual gifts as toys that we play with and instead seeing spiritual gifts as tools that the living God distributes to build us. So, uh, May God make our church good weird. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would awaken in us greater desire for your glory. God, I pray that there would be men and women in the room that would ask you for the gift of tongues and I pray that you would see fit to distribute that gift on more people in this body. Pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to be people that grow in maturity and grow in depth as we love each other. We pray as we come to this meal that you would feed us and sustain us in the name of Jesus. Amen.